Future Self Podcast, Episode 37. I wouldn't want, would never want to do a four hour work week. I'd be going crazy. My point of view is do something that you enjoy doing so much you wouldn't want to do it for only four hours a week. This is the Future Self Podcast. Here's your host, Robert Ingalls. You know, I should totally start a podcast. If you have ever said those words, then you are in the right place. I am teaming up with Advent Coworking to bring you Advent Podcast University, Charlotte's first comprehensive podcasting course designed to take you from your idea that you have right now to being on iTunes in four short weeks. Now, whether you're a hobbyist or you're ready to create a business and a brand around your podcast, this course provides you with the tools to bring your unique vision to life. Even if you're still trying to nail down that perfect podcast idea, we have you covered there too. So if you're ready to take your idea and get it on iTunes, go to yourpod.pro to sign up for details. Yourpod.pro. All right, let's jump into today's show. All right, listeners, my guest this week is the coach's coach, Mr. Mark Mawinney. Mark has one of those stories I love to tell at the Future Self Podcast, taking the leap into entrepreneurship from a quote-unquote safe job in real estate, one of those jobs that our parents told us was going to be the good job. And after taking that leap, Mark has been crushing it. He is working with coaches to help them develop their unique programs. To complement his coaching programs, Mark teaches online courses, he authors a monthly print newsletter, and runs a successful Facebook group of almost 10,000 coaches around the world. On top of all that, he hosts two podcasts, Natural Born Coaches and the recently launched Mark Mawinney Show. I don't how he has time for all that, but we are about to find out. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Robert. Oh, right. Absolutely. Uh, that That is really my biggest question is I, I work with a lot of people and a lot of my listeners, they find themselves in these positions where they want to do these big things. And then they listen to a podcast like this and they hear an intro like that and all these things that you're up to and they're like, I could never do that. How do you find time to make all of that in your life? And, and, and I know you you know, previously, and I know that you're also a very involved family man. Mm. Well, I should mention, first of all, just so people don't think I'm Superman, um, real estate wasn't safe for me. <laughs> I, I, um, I, it was safe for about 10 years and things are going gangbusters and it was going perfect. And then I went through two business closures in roughly four years. So um, it was, uh, I got into coaching after a couple of years in the wilderness, I say, and started coaching on a shoestring budget, just put a lot of time and energy and effort into it. So I say that just for anyone listening uh, here that's gone through some ups and downs. I know where you're at because I've been there and it was not a smooth transition, but everything worked out well. I wouldn't be talking to you today. I would be selling homes in New Brunswick, Canada, if uh, if not for that. So much happier coaching. Uh, How do I do it all is I do, full disclosure, have a team helping me. And that didn't start right out of the gate. So um, I first few years, I was the chief cook and bottle washer. I did absolutely everything for my podcasts and everything else. Now I've got my brother, Matt, and his team handling my production and stuff and editing. And then I've got a VA team that handles other things. So that being said, I still work a lot of hours, but I do have some people helping uh, with the lift the load. And uh, that was a process. I didn't have all that right out of the gate. I built, had to build up to that point and kept handing things off to the point where I'm at today and I should still still hand off some more so it's an ongoing evolution 
Yeah, I think it was important early on when you pointed out that, you know, chief bottle washer, you were the guy that was doing everything. And and that's a that's the part I think that was hard for me to learn in the very beginning is is how much actually goes into it and, and how little you actually get back in the very beginning. And that's the part that I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they hit that wall because they're used to showing up people who you know came from a, another career. They're used to showing up, putting in the work and they see that return. I mean, Friday. Ooh. Friday morning, that direct deposit hits. And uh, I think that's yeah. a big wake up call when you can, you go, you know, three months sometimes without a dollar rolling in in the beginning. And that gets scary. <laughs> well, uh, what I should mention too is a lot of people nowadays, they read the four hour work week and they get really onto this outsourcing kick and they don't want to have to do anything other than refresh your bank account and see the dollars rolling in. And the first 300 episodes of my show, I had to edit myself. I hate editing. I can't stand it, but it's great. You love it. That's good, but I can't stand it. And I didn't, I wasn't able to bring a team on to do things like editing and the other stuff. So I do find a lot of people nowadays with new coaches, for example, who I work with or I help coaches, they they don't want to do anything. They don't want to do the the dirty work early on. They just want to have it outsourced completely. It doesn't work like that. You you got to build your way up from there and, and do the dirty work for a while. And I think it's important. You know, I, I say this a lot to people who are just starting a business. I think it's so important to know how your business runs because I meet those people who do want to outsource everything from the very beginning. But when you start outsourcing something that you don't even know how to do. Yeah things can get ugly really fast because, A, you're outsourcing it and you're just hoping that that person understands your vision and what you want to do. So that's one of the things I always say is make sure that you have a system for everything and you know how that system works. And that way, when you do outsource it, that you can show that person, this is exactly what I want. And then you can do those kind of, you know, monthly, quarterly check-ins, whatever, to make sure that system's running well. But if you don't know how it runs, I think you're going to find yourself screwed, especially if that person decides to quit on you. Yeah, I laugh at the gurus. I won't mention any names, but a few come to mind. And and these gurus that talk about scaling and the outsourcing. And if you're working more than 30 hours a week on your business, you're doing it wrong. And you're not an entrepreneur, you're an employee and all this stuff. They tend to forget that when they started 10 years ago, that's what they had to do as well. Now they're sitting on top of the mountain. It's easy to look down at others, the, the lowly people and say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, you're don't be stupid, run your business the right way. Not saying that they're all like that, but uh, that's what I do see that's out there. There's a lot of people forget what they did in the early days to have to get it going. And then they say, no, you got to do it this way now. Well, everyone's got to start somewhere. I always say, if you have to compare yourself to someone, compare yourself to someone that's been at it the same length of time as you. Don't compare yourself to the person that's been at it a decade because they had a really big head start. If you've been at it two years, they've been at it 10 years, it's apples and oranges. Sure. And I think some of them, I, I don't want to, you know, I won't call any names or anything like that because- well, let's do it. Let's make it interesting. <laughs> well, I think some people, it, it may be a little bit provocative. It's more of a marketing effort to say yeah. something a little bit different. They're going to say something loud that might catch attention that's going to then bring them more attention. And I think that's where that comes in. Um, and then to loop back around to the four-hour work week, I am a huge fan of that book. But it's one of those things that I, I use it in a way that serves me. Uh, like, uh, have you ever heard of the book, The Secret? It's one of those manifest yeah. things. And, and it took me, uh, I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, it took me a while to get to a point where I could even read that book because I was like, eh. <laughs> but when I finally got to a point where I could, I, I think I got a lot from it because I was able to read it and take take the you know processes away that worked for me. And that's how the four-hour work week was for me. It, it gave me an understanding of a wor- of the world in a way I didn't get it. Of I didn't even think of outsourcing. Like, I, I mean, my when I opened my first business, 
I hired a paralegal eventually. And then, you know, I hired an attorney to work with me eventually. Mm-hmm. But still, the, the core of the business, I never saw like this moment in time where I wouldn't be doing all these things. So when I read that, it really helped me understand, oh, wow. I, it, it's silly for me to be doing some of these things. Yeah. I need to, I need to focus on the things that generate the most revenue. Yeah. So and that I've was had discussions with Tim Ferriss fans about it. And they say, don't take it literally. He doesn't mean literally four hours a week. Apparently he chose that because of uh, something to do with SEO and search results. A lot of people were Googling four hour work, yeah. work week or stuff like that. So they say it's more the shift, the mental shift. Right. around it's kind of like the emf michael gerber i'm rereading that book now that's the type of book that will shift your thinking so i don't need to crap on tim ferris i'm reading his new book now and i i wouldn't want would never want to do a four-hour work week i'd be going crazy my point of view is do something that you enjoy doing so much you wouldn't want to do it for only four hours a week it would drive you nuts yeah absolutely i love that because that's how way i feel too because uh, i've heard other people say that like i can't even imagine working four hours a week and i couldn't either i like what i do so much that I, I would be very bored. You know, Tim Ferriss spends more than four hours a week on his podcast alone. So you, you can't tell me that Tim Ferriss is doing a four-hour work week. Right. Maybe a four-hour work day, perhaps. I, I even doubt that with everything he has going on. He's not doing a four-hour work week. Yeah, that's something I could get behind, though, I think, the four-hour day. You know, if I can get to a point oh, where yeah, I'm doing I'll that. Take, I'll take four hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to dig into the backstory a little bit. Uh, you, you know, you said you'd been in real estate for, what, 15 years? About a decade. Okay. Started when it was 20, 21. Yeah. And, and and what happened that led to you getting out of real estate? Well, like I said, it wasn't a smooth, orderly plan where I said, hey, I'm going to make a transition from real estate here and there uh, What at a certain time. What happened was I went through a decade of nonstop growth. Every year, the commission's revenues were going up. I, I was like you mentioned with the legal team, I was adding uh, buyer's agents to my real estate team. So went from a team of 10, 15, uh, by 2009, I was up to 100 agents and employees in two different office spaces. And um, what ended up happening, to make a long story short, I grew too big too fast. Uh, timing was horrible because it was right around your lovely crash in 2008 in the U.S., uh, with everything there and um, just bad timing. So th- that's what happened. And make a long story short, I was helped back to my feet by several coaches and mentors. And that's where I started coaching in 2014. I said, man, I'd love to do this for a business. And I'm done with real estate. I want to do something else. And that's how I got into coaching. Well, before I follow up on that question, it made me think when you said it wasn't really a smooth transition. Uh, I think it's, uh, is it Elon Musk term, a rapid unscheduled disassembly when the rocket blows <laughs> up? <laughs> Well, there's very few business closures that are smooth and orderly, unless it's Mr. and Mrs. Jones, who are 65, 70 years old. They've been planning it for a while. For the most part, when you're a younger person and in rapid growth mode, it's it's kind of like the crash test dummy crashing into the wall. And that's what mine was like. But it's interesting because I actually learned more from those couple years of quote, failure than I had in 10 years of unprecedented success before that. So you do learn more. You just have to shift your thinking when it comes to failure. It's learning lessons. It's a bitter pill to swallow. Don't get me wrong. It, it hurt like a bitch, but you know, here I am. <laughs> right. Land, landed on your feet eventually. So you said when you got out of real estate that you started working with some coaches and, and I want to talk about that a little bit more because, uh, you know, now you are a coach's coach. When you first, like, what was the process of first deciding, A, 
that I'm, you know, I don't have any background in coaching. I was in real estate. Now I'm going to be a coach. Not only am I going to be a coach, I am going to coach other people on how to coach. Was there a transition to that? Did you start coaching something else first? Yeah. Well, when I first started coaching, I had no niche whatsoever. I said, I want to be a coach for entrepreneurs and help entrepreneurs because that's in my blood entrepreneurship. I love what they're doing. So I said, that's what I'm going to do. And through that first year trial error experimentation, what I discovered is that I don't enjoy working with Joe Smith from Joe's widgets as much as I did. I had two coaches who were clients and I absolutely loved those calls. I loved everything about it, working with the coaches. It just gelled really well. It was working with, um, like I said, the traditional bricks and mortar type owner that I didn't enjoy as much. So I said, you know what, this is kind of silly. I am going to plant my flag in the ground, only work with coaches. And even to this day, I refer off anyone who comes to me that isn't a coach. And I get them for, through my podcast or what I'm doing in social media. And I say, hey, look, I'm not the guy to help you. Here, I'll refer you to a, a good coach that we know. Our mutual friend Rocco, for example, he's a business coach. He can help them. Go talk to Rocco. Right. So it sounds like it was more kind of happenstance that you found your niche in coaching coaches because you were out there coaching and you just happened to have a couple of other coaches who were working with you. Is that right? Yeah. In that term, I mean, it's it, for lack of a better term, because the term coach who coaches coaches kind of gets, you know, people laughing and then they say, oh, gee, do you have to hire a coach who coaches coaches, coaches, <laughs> coaches or whatever? Uh, essentially, I'm a business coach. The only people that I help are other coaches. Sure. Uh, get more clients. So, yeah. And, uh, and it's clearly a great niche that you found. Uh, but I think a big takeaway for my listener, uh, I think, is that you were doing something. You hadn't found your niche. You knew you wanted to work with entrepreneurs. You didn't know exactly what entrepreneurs you wanted to work with, but you started. You launched this business. You started working with someone. And during that forward momentum, you put you had created an opportunity to work with someone and you were like, wow, I like that. And I think the takeaway is that if you hadn't put yourself in that position, if you hadn't been on that forward momentum, then when that opportunity came along, you would not have been there to grasp it. You couldn't have even been the guy who said, I want to do this in this moment because you wouldn't have been ready. Well, I'm not a perfectionist. So that's, I consider that to be a plus because a lot of people are perfectionist and they want to have six months or a year to do market research and to have the perfect business plan worked out and examine things from every which angle. I'm more the type like the typical entrepreneur that jumps off the cliff and hopes he can build the plane before it hits the ground and he has a fiery death. That's more (laughs) me. And luckily this plane, I was able to build it and get it flying in time. But a lot of people overthink things way too much. They want to have a perfect, they want to have that perfect niche worked out right out of the gate and they want to have absolutely everything perfect. And it's never going to work out that way. Most business plans are useless after a week or so when you're in business, you got to throw them out. So not saying you shouldn't prepare. I think some preparation is good, but I err on the side of taking action. I think that's when you're going to really find out what works and what doesn't by just getting out there and doing it. Yeah. I think that's so strong because my my listeners know that's kind of the path I took as well. When this podcast, even this podcast first started, it was a very different product. But because I started it, I was in a position to keep saying yes to new opportunities. Uh, so I really like that. What were you thinking when you first started this business? Was there a moment of fear? I know you'd been an entrepreneur. You'd started a real estate firm of yourself and managed, you know, what, 100 people. Was there a moment when you were, you know, marching off into this new area where you had this fear, like, who am I to do this? It's a great question. I actually had that fear a few years earlier when I left real estate because I'd always identified myself as a quote real estate guy. 
And that's all I'd done right out of university was real estate. So suddenly this is ripped away from me and you feel like you lose part of your identity because I was thinking I'm going to be doing real estate for the rest of my life. Now the thought of doing real estate, doing open houses and stuff when I'm 70, 75 years old makes me want to vomit. But back then I was thinking, you know, I'm going to be doing this forever. So that's when I really uh, went through that, that period where it's thinking, oh, geez, what do I do now? And I found it really difficult after real estate, that period where I wasn't building a business because I was used to going 100 miles an hour for a decade. And all of a sudden, just bang, it stops. You don't have anywhere to pour all that energy to. So I hit a period where I was just nonstop consuming personal development books and videos. I love that stuff. But I was actually over-motivated. I said it was like I was a car that was lifted up on blocks and the tires are spinning really, really fast, but it's not going anywhere because you don't have anywhere to put that energy with it. So I'm very grateful for coaching. It saved my sanity, I can say, because it gave me somewhere to throw this energy towards and not go crazy. Yeah, I, I, I was in a very similar position as well when I was deciding to leave my career that I started consuming. I, th- I think a mm. lot of people find themselves in that position, like they just this crave for knowledge, like I want to know more and more and more. And and it does it did get to a point with me as well where I feel like I was almost consuming instead of actually working. Mm. Like it was you get, you get over motivated. Yeah, and it felt know, yeah. it felt like I was accomplishing something by consuming more content. But at a certain point, it was keeping me, I was using it as an excuse, like, oh, I just need to read one more book. I just need to take one more course. Mm. And, and then, you you know, you end up in a position where you own like 10 books you haven't read yet. And you've bought these <laughs> courses that you don't even have time to sit down and take. And, uh, and eventually you just have to say, OK, I know what I know and I can keep learning when I have time. But, you know, you got to you got to press the gas at some point. Yeah. Well, there are people who are addicted to personal development and they're these people. It's like a hit of dopamine every time they buy it online program or a book. And I've talked to people that have said like, oh yeah, I was in the personal development before it was cool. I bought Tony Robbins first tapes and I was buying books back in the eighties, all those Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar and all that stuff. But then I talked to them and they're still not doing anything with it, even (laughs) though it's been 30 some years. And I think you can get addicted to personal development. Uh, It really, it's almost like a drug, you know, for a lot of us. So I don't have any trouble getting motivated. For me, I'm not the type to lay on the couch and watch Netflix 24-7. I have to be careful not to consume too much personal development stuff and make sure I'm spending my time actually taking action, which I really make sure I'm doing. Yeah, I read a, uh, a book, I think. I am having trouble remembering his name. The guy who wrote Bagger Vance. Uh, he, oh, Stephen Pressfield. Yes, the the War of Art, and I think in there there was a quote uh, about motivation, and he says they they asked the famous writer if uh, you know how motivation worked for him or or if he had to get motivated. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, he's like I I only work when I'm motivated. Thankfully, motivation strikes every day at nine a.m. <laughs> and I said that's you know that that's it's such a strong quote because it's it's like you just got to get up and do the work and that's how I feel and that's one of the things I've seen Tony Robbins live and that's one of the things that he really drills on he's like you can come here and you can listen to me and he's like I see you you're hyped up you're excited but what are you going to do when you go home mm. he's like I I don't want you just to come here and get excited and motivated I'm not a motivator he's like I want you when I'm not there anymore I want you to be able to start going on your your own and then a quote that he says is is uh Motion leads to emotion, and that is such a strong thing in my life. If you actually start doing the work, you're then going to create this motivation to continue doing the work. 
Right. And that was a problem with the secret. You know, I was into it. I drank the Kool-Aid back in, what was it? Oh, six or whatever, but it makes you feel warm and fuzzy and all that stuff. But if it's not backed up by action, then it's not going to do any good. And in my world, the coaching world, I see so many manifestation coaches and they recommend shooting rainbows out of your butt and, <laughs> and attracting stuff to you and shooting out the vibrations and all that stuff. I'm like, you don't need vibrations or any of this law of attraction stuff. Get out there and take action that's going to come to you, but not sitting at home thinking about it and, and vibrating. You can vibrate till the cows come home. It's not going to do any good. <laughs> yeah. It sounds kind of dirty, vibrate till the cows come home. <laughs> and that's where uh, I think I found a really nice balance with that because I really enjoy the idea uh, of the law <laughs> of attraction. But at the same time, the way I have implemented it in my life, it's I like to focus on it and also do the work involved with it because the more I focus on it, the more motivated I am to do the work. I, you know, I've put together, uh, I don't want to call it a vision board yet because it's not actually on a board, but I, I've put together a few, uh, you know, pieces of paper hmm. and, and different things that are very important to me, places I want to go, things I'm trying to do. And I find them very helpful now to, to yeah. have that physical manifestation, to be able to see them and know exactly what I'm working for while I'm working. Cause some days you get to your desk and you're like, man, screw this. Like I'm just not feeling it. And yeah. then you realize, Hey, this is the long-term goal. Here it is. So that's been very helpful. But yeah, the idea that I'm just going to will it into existence. Sure. No. Yeah. And different things motivate different people. So there's nothing wrong. Be take money. For example, money can be a lot of people have uh, negative feelings about money. And, and you've seen this, I'm sure in the coaching world, a lot of coaches have, tremendous blocks around money where they think it's somehow evil or bad to admit that you want to make money. And this is where they get into the BS thing where, Oh no, I don't care about making any money. I'm here to change the world. I could care less about money when we all know that. No, come on, man. Like you're, you want money. If not, there's something wrong with you. So uh, I'm very uh, clear with my marketplace and stuff. My fees are quite high. And I say, I enjoy money. I love it. I like having a roof over my head and like being able to take trips and doing all that stuff. And I don't feel bad about that. I'm not here to do a charity or be a volunteer with it. But unfortunately, a lot of people in the online space aren't business people. They're volunteers. They're just giving away everything for free. It's the wrong way to do it. Right. And I think that they're they're chasing, at least from my perspective, I think they're chasing this thing they see because every coach has this, oh, this free training or this free ebook mm. or things like that. And, and they've got this idea that you have to bring all this value, which I absolutely agree with. But at a certain point, if you bring all that value, but then never figure out a way to bring some of that money back to you, you're going to run out of your ability to bring that value yeah. and you're going to find yourself with a boss really, really quickly. Yeah, you need to find the where the line should be between free and paid. And I've found a good mix for mine where I give a lot of value for free. I mean, I'm in the Facebook group and, and doing stuff. People, if they don't even spend a penny with me, will get help. It'll help them. But they then have to open up their wallets and invest to get more help. And uh, I say the really good stuff and, and more energy for me to have to invest in themselves. And I've found where that line should be. And unfortunately, a lot of new people in the online space, the line's too far towards free. Right. Absolutely. I certainly see. I think feel like they think that they're going to get ahead of the pack. Like, oh, well, this is free, so I'll do that. But I don't think they understand, you know, there's a there's a basic uh, psychological, I don't, I don't want to call it a principle, but when you offer something for free, people wonder, well, why is it free? What, what, mm. what are you, it must not be valuable because if it was valuable, then you would certainly have more people that want it and you wouldn't have time to offer it for free. You know, a, a good coach will have like a lead magnet or something small here and there that just gives you a taste to say, Hey, 
this is what I can do for you. If you'd like to come in and, and, and see what, what more we have to offer, that's great. But I know like sometimes I'll see an online training program that someone's practically giving away. It's like 15 hours of video and it's like nine ninety nine. I'm like, I'm not even going to waste my time with it. What are they giving away 15 hours of video for nine? It must be just a bunch of nonsense at that price because my time is so valuable that I am not even willing to take that risk to, to even sit down and watch 15 hours of video that costs nine ninety nine. You got it. So uh, I don't want to keep you here all day, but there's a couple things I definitely want to hit on. One of the things that really interests me that, that you're doing, and I've seen other people doing it well as well, is you are returning to print media in, in, in the day. Uh, I mean, the Internet rules. Everything we get comes in an email. It comes in an ebook. But now you are seizing print media. So you're doing a monthly newsletter for coaches that... Um, is, is all print was it 15, 20 pages? Uh, I've gotten a couple of them myself and they're very, very valuable. When you first decided to do that, like, what were you thinking? Because it, it's so interesting that that's working because if you'd asked me, which I clearly know nothing, but if you'd asked me a couple years ago, should I try to send out a newsletter? I'd be like, newsletters are dying. No mm. one's going to buy that. Yeah. It's very old fashioned. So I, I use stone tablets and I carve the words in. It's in my cave. I have a, a bunch of the tablets stocked up. No, it's uh, actually got, the postage has to get really high on those. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, I mean, I could talk for hours about why print newsletters are needed. I'll give you the, the cliffs notes, I guess. Um, for one, people treat it a lot more serious because if they get something digitally, they get so much stuff on their computer, it gets lost collecting virtual dust. They just don't take it as seriously. People get my newsletter and they've told me that they highlight it. Uh, they uh, put a hole punch through it. They put it, keep them all in a binder. They get the highlighter pen. They're going back to it several times a month. They do treat it much more serious because it's only print. There's no digital copies anywhere with it. And people nowadays are used to getting just bills and junk mail in the mail, if anything at all. So to actually get something that's delivered right to them once a month like this with highly valuable information, the stuff I'm putting in there isn't just repackaged blog posts or you know my Facebook posts that are put into a newsletter. It's exclusive stuff just to that newsletter. And I treat them like clients. I'm, I actually pretend that I'm sitting across from a client when I'm writing it. And what do I think this client needs to hear from it? And that's how I do it. And, and it's worked out very well. So there's actually more newsletters, print newsletters, than you would realize they're just kind of hidden away a little bit. You don't know, but I'm a uh, subscriber to two of them myself from different people. And I just love the format. Nice. Yeah, I've seen a couple other people doing it very well as well. Um, so I want to talk about your podcast a little bit before I let you go, uh, because, you know, you and I have talked and we've worked together and, and I am I have transitioned into being a full time podcast consultant and coach. When did you during your coaching career, did you decide to add podcasting to your marketing efforts? I was in business for close to a year, probably nine, 10 months. It was late 2014 when I launched a podcast and where it came about was I thought, you know what I need? I want something else to get the message out there. And I don't know if it's going to be blogs, YouTube videos, eBooks or what, but I just, I decided on podcasts. I've been listening to them for probably five years at that point as an early adopter for podcasts. I sure. said, that's what I'm going to do. And I just jumped in and did it. And that was in the fall of 2014. And here we are today. So that's how it wasn't a grandmaster plan. Again, it goes back into just jumping in, learning how to do it. And I haven't regretted it. So how did you learn in the early days? Because uh, I have to assume there wasn't quite as much readily available knowledge as there is now. 
Well, actually, I have to give credit. I got help from John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire. And uh, John had a program for podcasters that I joined up with. And that gave me all the videos, tutorials, everything I needed. So I dove in and did that. And my show was daily for the first 300 days. So I had a ton of work to launch it because I wanted to have at least a month's worth of recorded shows, 30 days. Yeah, worth it, and then i had to edit them and everything else but yeah that's I, I have to give john credit then he was he came on my show and then i went on eo fire uh, back in the fall of 2016 so it worked out really well that that in itself got me on john's radar because then he knew who i was because i actually paid and bought you know bought something from him and that certainly didn't hurt my chances getting on eo fire oh sure and, and they certainly know what they're doing over there i uh, i went to podcast movement this past summer and john and mm. kate did a uh, a full day class the day before the conference started, and and I took that class with them, and it was incredibly valuable. I mean, and it's yeah. hard to teach you know everything you need to know in six hours, but coming from you know I'd already had a podcast for well over a year at that point, and so going in and already having that base, it was incredibly helpful. Like just the takeaways I was able to change in my podcast immediately were super super helpful there. Oh, definitely. Yep. Um, so what I, I, I want I'm interested in knowing what your rig looked like in the beginning. Did you just start with a, a microphone and a computer? Did you, you know, go for a mixer? Like what were you recording with? I still don't use a mixer. <laughs> so I had my laptop and a blue Yeti and that was it. Gotcha. And that's still, that's still what I have. So I'm not into some people deck out their home office. Like it's Beyonce's studio. <laughs> and uh, that's not what I do. I I'm happy with my blue Yeti, my laptop, and then I go from there. So it's very simple, but got the job done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think if you were to look at on my side over here, it would look a little bit differently. Uh, but then again, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, that this is my business and, uh, I routinely have several people that need to record all in the same space, but at the same time, I'll, I'll say I, uh, I'm also just a little bit fond of the gear as well. Like I just really enjoy, uh, the toys. See, I'm not, you you sound like a bit of an audiophile probably, and you're into that stuff. Oh, Me, yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm like, okay, I just want to hit record, record what I have to do and get the heck out of there. So for me, I don't enjoy it. But for someone like yourself, that's into that type stuff, by all means, deck out your home office. You know, if you enjoy it, whatever floats your boat. That's exactly how some of my students are. They say, look, I want you to come over here. I want you to set these things up and I don't ever want to touch them again. (laughs) One of those situations. Well, if your cat climbs on this, you're gonna have to call me back. <laughs> um, so you started a new podcast recently, which uh, you know, having one, I have one podcast right now, and the idea of taking on another one kind of makes my head spin. So, what were you thinking there? Like, I'm gonna, I'm doing all these other things, but all of that aside, I'm gonna start another podcast, the Mark Mawinney Show. Well, you have to remember that with Natural Born Coaches, I was used to doing a daily show for a long time, and then it went scaled it back to a weekly show. So for me to do two podcasts with one release each every week, so two shows in total, that's a holiday, right, compared to seven a day. <laughs> so I look at it a little different. I think, oh, wow, I'm, I'm not doing as much podcasting, but where I'm making up the time is going out on other shows like this because I really enjoy this. But <clears throat> to answer your question, the reason I did it was um, I wanted to reach some new people where Natural Born Coaches is exclusively coaches. The Mark Mooney show is much more, um, it's kind of business life, me ranting about stuff. It's a much more open format. Plus, I like the solo format and nothing against the interview style, but a lot of times I would uh, do an interview on Natural Born Coaches and I think, oh, I wish I could have talked about this. 
but you don't have that time because you only have 30 minutes. You got a guest there. So there's two people. So that's why I opted to do the uh, very originally named the Mark Mooney show crazy name for it was um, it's good, it's good just for the, yeah, that's right. For something different. And also I also tell people I'm very open. It was to grow my list, which it's done very well with because it brought new people into my world and it's grown my email list. Now, I said that to some people and they're shocked. They're like, oh my God, you don't admit that you started a podcast in part to grow your email list. And I'm like, well, I'm just being honest. Of course, we're all in business. We should be wanting to grow our email list if we're doing it right. Sure. Yeah. That, that idea that you should be out there uh, just running a nonprofit, like, oh, I'm going to start this podcast and, and hopefully one day someone will like it enough that they'll just send me a check in the mail. Um, it, it, it's, it's crazy to me that people still think like that. But, you know, the main idea is, hey, if that show is valuable enough and people like it, then they will get on your email list and eventually they may turn into customers for you. Because if it's not valuable, it doesn't matter why you started it. No one's going to hear it. And I have an E rating on the Mark Morney show because I can have a potty mouth at times. I'm not dropping F-bombs, but if I want to say some, you know some dirty words I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean this uh th- this show didn't set out to be explicit, but every episode uh, ends up needing an explicit tag and <laughs> and I always err on the side of caution as well. Yeah. If there's anything that it could even be remotely PG-13, I just go ahead and tag it because the last thing I would want is someone to pop up that episode and be like, "Oh, this sounds interesting and listen their to it with their kids." Their kids in the back seat and they're listening. Right. Yeah. I'm not like uh, and going back to Tony Robbins where we talked about him earlier after he released his documentary on Netflix. I am not your guru. He was dropping F bombs like crazy. Yeah, um, and he does. Like I've seen him live and he does. Deal. Yeah. With, with Tony he was doing it. Like he's trying to break a Guinness world record with it. <laughs> and what happened right after that was all these coaches that I'm connected with on social media. And, and that I know we're all sudden cursing like sailors. Uh, Cause they thought, well, Tony Robbins does it, right. it works for him. You, that, fake edgy isn't any good i just say be yourself right so for me i'll say see i'm gonna wreck your rating now um <laughs> i'll say crap or bs or something like Ooh, that explicit. but i'm not like strutting around like f this and f that and some coaches that i saw on there like if you don't go for your dreams you're an f and piece of f and crap like get off your <laughs> f and f and all this stuff it just sounded really stupid yeah so i just say just be yourself if you curse a lot in real life fine curse in business, if you don't curse, don't try to play the tough guy or the tough girl and drop all these F-bombs. Yeah, like I see people that follow Gary Vaynerchuk and then they uh, start yeah. to kind of take on that persona, which I like him. And I don't. I think that is absolutely 100% who he is. And, yeah. and it works for him. But then when people try to make that themselves, it goes past, uh, you know, turns into imitation. And, yeah. uh, and, and it does. It comes off as kind of silly. And and even, even Tony Robbins... Uh, I've seen him twice and I saw him in two different places. The first time I saw him was in Atlanta and it was a much more aggressive style. And, mm. and then I saw him in another venue and you could tell that he was speaking to his market. He had a, an idea of where he was and who he was talking to and it was toned down. It was a yeah. different approach. A lot of the same information, but it was served up uh, not nearly as aggressively as it had been the first time. So even someone like Tony Robbins is still playing to the listener. He knows who, who, yeah. his, who his audience is, and he didn't want to alienate that group. I mean, there was a few F-bombs here and there, but they were very well placed and, and yeah. just in a very emotional moment. It wasn't like he was just out there spitting them out just to use them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I like his books. I've got Awaken the Giant Within right here, my bookshelf and all that stuff. I did not like his Netflix. I thought it was crap. And and everyone afterwards is, oh my God, it was so transformative. It was amazing. And I cried and all this stuff. 
And I'm like, no, I saw Tony just dropping F bombs and he jumped into some really cold water in his backyard to give a <laughs> shock to his system. And that's not what, what I was hoping that show would have been was an unbiased look at Tony Robbins business. Uh, warts and all show that he's a real person because he is a real person, right? Sure. Everyone is. And what it was instead was it was a longer infomercial for his business. I think he had creative control, I heard. So the director really wimped out. Instead of giving a, an honest, unvarnished look, which would have been much more interesting, they essentially created an infomercial. And it yeah. wasn't real. I didn't find that show to be real at all. I watched it once. And I've never gone back to it again. Sure enough, it could have been Tony sitting on a toilet. Here goes your e-rating, having a dump for two hours, and these coaches would have been gushing over it, right? And they would have said it was great regardless of what it was. But I looked at that, and I said, no, it wasn't. I mean, at one point, he had a woman break up with her boyfriend on the phone, on a, out in the crowd in front of thousands of people cheering her on. That was an aggressive knowing, move. Yeah, not knowing this woman's situation or anything like that. Hey, break up with your significant other in front of all these people. And everybody's talking about how great it was and stuff. And I'm like, come on. Yeah. Anyways, that's my two cents. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you my takeaway, just having seen him live is I think they tried to cram a lot of information into a really small package. Uh, because you know, when I've seen him live, it's, it's very, it's a very different atmosphere and it, it felt very soundbite. Uh, just like quick, 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 because these, some of these things, when he goes and talks to people take like an hour by themselves. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's one of the things, but I, I did, I have seen him live just a short session. I haven't been in one of his full things, but, but I did enjoy it. But that, that movie certainly, cause that was the one thing that stuck out to me too, was the breaking up with the boyfriend. Like you're just going to wreck this woman's life right here. <laughs> exactly. And um, I was disappointed. I was hoping, I think they could have shown the real guy, and like I said, warts and all, and it wouldn't, I would have actually had more respect for him that way to yeah. put it out there like that. But to put it out like a glossy infomercial didn't do anything yeah, for me. Absolutely. And I, I think it may have been more helpful to a lot of people to have seen that because it lets, it, it makes people feel a little bit closer to him because yeah. it's like, oh, okay, these are the things that I deal with as well. Because the, the movie certainly uh, did what I think a lot of people like to see themselves. It's the story they like to tell is the I ha everything's together and everything's great yeah uh, but well, it was it was a highlight reel right yeah. and that's like that quote there's a steve marabelli or whatever don't compare your behind the scenes to someone else's highlight reel tony robbins for me was the most interesting when i hear the stories about him living in a 400 square foot bachelor apartment washing dishes from his bathtub and stuff and then I was hoping to find out more about that mm -hmm. with it. You know, how did he become the top guy in the personal development world as opposed to what it was? But you're right. It's tough to squeeze in it, everything in a two hour span with it. I just, it, it didn't do it for me. Right. So, well, um, uh, it's like Siskel and Ebert here this week. We're going <laughs> to right? review. We'll do, well, we'll do a Netflix review show. <laughs> I think there's space in the market for that. Uh, I will let you know when I go. My wife and I are definitely planning on going to one of his two-day events. Uh, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back with you and let you know if that lives up to it. Yeah. Um, but, Next week, we'll review Black Panther. <laughs> That's I, I heard it was good. <laughs> yes. Um, before I let you go, I, uh, I want to talk a little bit about your Facebook group because that's one of the, the ways. I, the first way I found you was on Entrepreneur on Fire. I, I follow uh, John mm -hmm. Lee Dumas's, uh show uh, 
pretty consistently. And that's where I'd first heard you a while back. And, and I immediately went and joined the coaching jungle. And I was just lurking for a long time because I was busy with different things. And, and, but you were there consistently providing value and, and, you know, showing your personality, showing that you're someone who I eventually became, came to know, like, and trust without even knowing yet, just through being a member of that group. Um, and now what, what are you up to? Almost 10,000 now, right? Yeah, as we're recording this, we're about 200 away from the big 10,000 mark. Well, I'm going to ask my listeners, go check out The Coaching Jungle, and they can find it at thecoachingjungle.com, right? You got it, yep. And uh, let's uh, let's get them over 200. Let's give them that future self bump. <laughs> I'll be like Oprah. We'll give away cars and laptops and stuff once we get to 10,000. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I, I got to put a, a disclaimer there. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you also have uh, one-on-one and group, group coaching programs as well, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And feel free to tell us where we can find you there. Yeah. I mean, the best spot to find out everything I'm up to is naturalborncoaches.com. And uh, that's got all the details. My group program is at 10clients90days.com. And that's a numeric 10clientsnumeric90days.com. Perfect. Perfect. And full disclosure, I have been through the 10 clients in 90 days program and I, uh, I learned a lot and certainly catapulted me a lot farther along than I would be. Uh, I wanted to put that disclosure out oh, there just wow. to let everyone know that I had been through that program, but I really See, did enjoy it. what you're supposed to say is you made a million dollars your first <laughs> month after finishing yeah, it. Yeah, I'm actually quitting. This is, the, this is the last podcast I'll ever record because I'm so rich now. Uh, <laughs> no, but the, the, the program was good, and clearly if I didn't think it was good, I certainly wouldn't have brought you on and said, hey, listeners, here's a good program. Mm. So. Yeah, no, well, I'm glad that you liked it. All right, Mark. Well, I won't keep you here all day. I really appreciate you taking just a few minutes out to talk with me today. I think this was very valuable. I know it was to me, and I think it will be for my listeners as well. So uh, I, uh, any any last words for, uh, for my fans before we let you get out of here? No, I think we're good. I hope Tony <laughs> Robbins isn't uh, sponsoring your show here. <laughs> he, he will be, not yet, but he's he, we're coming for Tony, him. We, we've gotten some hits on Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, what Gary Vaynerchuk. We we got some more we can we can bash here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come for him next time. All right, thanks, Mark. Thanks, Robert. Appreciate it. What a valuable episode with Mark Mawinney. There is a theme that consistently emerges in the lives of successful people, persistence. After launching a successful business and then seeing it all come to pieces 10 years later, Mark didn't throw in the towel and then decide entrepreneurship wasn't for him. Instead, he did what successful people do. He dusted himself off and he took the next step and the next one and the next one until he turned those steps into his next successful venture. He didn't sit around and make excuses, deciding instead to do the work to make it happen. Forget luck. Luck is when hard work and preparation meet opportunity, and you will never be in the right place at the right time if you are sitting on the couch. What have you been thinking about doing? What is it that keeps you up at night? What have you been saying that you would do if you had more time or if you only had more money? You can either start doing it now or you can look back from the end of your life and say, I wish I had taken a chance. So which is it? Is it wish or is it work? Get after it. 
Now, if you've enjoyed this episode with Mark Mawinney as much as I did, then you will have my undying gratitude and appreciation if you take a quick moment right now to hit that subscribe button on the show and leave us a quick review. It is so easy. Just search for the Future Self Podcast on your iTunes app and scroll to the bottom and click write a review. Not only are you going to make me feel all warm and fuzzy, you're going to get notified when sweet new episodes of the Future Self Podcast roll out. And do we ever have some sweet shows in store for you? Over the next few weeks, we'll be sitting down with local Charlotte legend Bob Peters of The Punch Room and Josh Stanton, one half of the globe-trotting power couple behind the wildly successful lifestyle brand Screw the 9 to 5. All right, before I let you go, one quick reminder about the comprehensive podcasting course at Advent Coworking from idea to iTunes, and you're going to get all that delicious podcasting goodness served up in person by yours truly. Whether you already have an idea or you need some help nailing one down, in just four short weeks, I'm going to help you take that idea and launch it on iTunes. So if you're ready to press play on your own podcast, head on over to yourpod.pro to sign up for details. That's yourpod.pro. All right, listeners, I know that your time is your most valuable asset. So I thank you once again for spending just a little bit of that time with me today. Now, until next week, get out there and get after it.